Guys, I, I am excited. We are at end of year. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I know everybody starts checking out around this time. I get excited. Don't know why. Maybe it's the downtime. We don't get me. Just kidding. Welcome to GTM Unfiltered, hosted by GTM veterans, Judge Borco, Craig Rosenberg, and Matt Amundsen. We make talking business fun and sometimes funny. That's because we're always unscripted, unfiltered, and unlike anything else out there. Get ready. But I love to get into some of the fun things that happen around this year. And for me, one of the big ones is there's a lot of festivities happening. A lot Mm. of fun stuff, parties, things like that. I'm kind of curious. I'm going to throw this one out. And I love leading with this kind of thing. So you guys jump in as you want. I, I, I want to go holiday drink. Uh, favorite <laughs> holiday drink? Are you in? Are you out? Are you an eggnog person? Hot toddy? Are you non-drinker? What do you do instead? I, I, what, what are you guys thinking? Like Matt, I feel like you're you're like king of festivities. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I just get that feeling. What what what's your you, you got a drink? Uh, are you in? Are you out? Or what what? Yeah. So I mean, like uh, I'm not a big drinker, but my favorite cocktail is a Negroni, uh, which like it's red. It feels festive for for Christmas. So that works. I will say at Census, we had our holiday party last week. Uh, We were at this awesome bar in um, the marina, which it. You know, I'm like in my 40s and live in the uh, in the suburbs. Like I don't spend time at awesome bars in the marina. So like it made me feel young and cool. and they had this like big sort of group drink that was in a flamingo and like a flamingo is like kind of our internal mascot for our employees. So it was awesome. Our, uh, our, 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 our CTO was sort of like, he was carrying it around. He was ladling out drinks from it. So like, that was a ton of fun. I think it just kind of, um, you know, these are like the fun times where you get to, uh, it, unless you're one of the three of us, let our hair down and, uh, and, and have fun with, with, the, with your, uh, with your fellow teammates. So, um, you know, I love things like that where it feels like communal, uh, maybe not super sanitary, but you know, what was the drink on. in the, it was flamingo? like, yeah, it was like this, like punch, man. It was like, almost like, uh, <laughs> like, um, what was the, what's the drink that you have in college where it's Jungle like everything? Yeah, it's like yeah, jungle juice Ooh. or something like that. It was it was very sweet. I will say I only had about four ounces of it in a little cup, but um, it sure made me feel merry and bright. I, I hope you were one of the first ladles, not one of the last. I think I was, yeah, because like I saw him pull that thing off the bar, and I was like, oh my god, yes! I did see it on the drink menu, and I was like, I wonder if anybody's gonna order this. And uh, Anton, you're the man. You 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 did, uh, and uh, I think everybody had a fun time with that. So normally I would say Negroni, but if there's like a thirty two or forty four ounce flamingo that's available to you with punch, that's more syrup than alcohol, just do it. <laughs> Why does, why does it have to? Was it? Does it have to be alcoholic? No, it, no. Come on, you can. What, uh, although with all the family around, I feel like a lot of people need something to take the edge off. Just saying, but you know, not every for sure. For we sure. used to have uh, at Tippet, which was a company um, that was at I'm trying to think when two thousand five, maybe to two thousand eleven. We used to have a nog off, so everyone would have to make an eggnog. Yeah. And um, number one is the issue with the nog off is you can't actually drink that much eggnog. And not because you would be, you know, hammered. It's the 
milk and the, you know, all the, it's so thick, you know? So like you had to time yourself if you're going to do the contest, but I would enter uh, like a Hawaiian or tropical nog every year. I'd come in like second, you know? Um, and, uh, but I would never drink it because I can't, well, A, I don't like, I mean, I, I would sip the eggnog and I knew, I mean, I would do the contest very little pieces because I had to prove that mine was better than everyone's, but, uh, but I wouldn't drink it. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't be like, yeah. it's just such a novelty drink. It's not like you go, it's not like right now, if I went to that bar in the Marina, they'd be like, Ooh, you got to try our eggnog. You know, it's like, so eggnog's a traditional one. And I definitely have taken part in making like special recipes in it, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, that's actually my only sort of holiday comment on that. Like, because if, if I'm going to drink, like on the alcohol side, I'm just going to drink what I want to drink. Like, and typically like a specialty drink will be like highly sugary, you know? I mean, no, I know <laughs> yeah. alcohol, sure, but like, you know, it's hard. But I do take sips of my kid. My kids will do like at the coffee shop, like the gingerbread or the yeah. uh, type of, you know, fun sort of mixed non-alcoholic drinks and uh i do sip them and i realize how how awesome they are um but it, <laughs> once again this is like i'm maybe i'm just bringing it up as a topic for everyone else because uh you know for me it's like those are sippables not like oh my god i can't wait to go have it you know what i mean yeah for sure oh yeah e eggnog is is loved and hated in my house uh my wife we we some people just seem to bring it to us and I don't drink it period. I'm a bourbon drinker, but I don't drink eggnog. And whenever it comes to the house, every night my wife seems to have some and she's like, this is so good. Please get rid of it. And I'm like, we'll just pour it out the next yeah. night. This is so good. Please get rid of it. And it just keeps going on because she can't stop herself. But it's like to Craig's point, it's sippable. Like even when I've had it, I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't want to drink a lot of this. Um, so for me, the go-to is any kind of bourbon always, but I will say around the holidays, hot toddies seem to find their way in. That's a good one. Right? Gets cold, sitting around fires, just kind of nice to have. But once again, to me, that's a sippable. Like I, I don't – like there's nothing I drink anymore. I'm like, oh, let's go, right? Like I'm, I'm old, whatever, obviously by the hair, whatever. But I, I – I just don't think uh, there's anything better than that kind of warm feeling around the fire, just hanging out with everybody and, and getting to enjoy it. So, uh, guys, if you got great recipes, send them to us. We want to try them. But I have a one on air. There are holiday drinks, but you don't really look forward to drinking them. That's true. <laughs> Fun fact, I've never had eggnog before ever. Okay. And see, here's That's an example. I don't care. Like, I mean, if I cared, I mean, if I cared, I'd be like, oh, dude, you know how people, I'll bring you some. I'm not going yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, Because you're not missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, I'll, another fact. example, I was thinking of, yeah, as you were talking, as you guys were talking, like, um, you know, the Buena Vista in San Francisco is famous for the Irish coffee. Okay. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But it's a tourist spot. And there's a reason mm -hmm. for that. Because... You don't roll around going, oh, my God, I can't wait to have an Irish coffee, right? Like you go to the Buena Vista so you can have their famous Irish coffee. Then you have it. You might have to whatever. But then you go <laughs> to your deli chocolate factory. You know what I mean? So it's like that. that's yeah. sort of this category of drinks, which are you might make, you might advertise as part of something. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still going to 
you know, drink, you know, what I want to drink, you know? So yeah. Beer. Beer. <laughs> yeah. Beer. Beer. Right. Cool. Well, hey, good, good start here. I, I want to roll into something uh, that I think is very appropriate for end of year. Um, we've all been now a part of a, let's just call it wonderful 2023. Uh, all the ups, all the downs. Uh, you know, at the end of the year, I always love to do the like, what surprised you? What was the thing about 2023 that we're going to remember most? And what are you watching for 2024? I, I hate predictions. We're not doing those guys. We're doing like, what are we watching? Because predictions don't work. Craig made me very aware. Don't worry. Uh, they never work. So uh, guys, what, what do you think? Like what, what was 2023 takeaway? And what, what are you kind of like looking at for 2024? By the way, on the predictions don't work thing, I need someone to do a research project to see how many people predicted that chat GPT open AI yeah. would change the world this year. <laughs> the answer is like, what? None, including them. <laughs> I have to go, you know, that's just like, cause this was a monumental tech disruption year. Right. I mean, yeah. And I know there's like, uh, well, actually there's nothing to say. I mean, like literally this is, like a seminal moment on the tech yeah. side, um, you know, with, with AI and particularly with, you know, the effects that it has on the go to market, there's just nothing like if we didn't say, I mean, it'd be very typical to say, but if we didn't say it, like, yeah. uh, and we'd, we'd be, be kidding ourselves. like, that would be yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's changed the world, you know, it's, um, so, but I think the most important thing we look forward to next year is, um, there's got to be massive adjustments to pipeline generation. Yeah. And I think we tested things and felt the pain this year. Uh, I'm not, I don't believe that people have the answers for the same amount of pipeline that they used to generate. Yeah. That is like the issue is that I think we'll come out from the bottom, right. And we'll do better. But like, you know, this is like a part of the expectations level set, which is, I'm not sure we can generate the amount of pipeline relative to the size of company that we were doing, let's say when it was just, you know, we sort of mentioned that the, the free money era was ridiculous pipeline generation yeah. and close yeah. rates. Um, but SaaS in general, the, there's been a long run of, you know, a, we figured out uh, digital marketing strategies where you could, you know, take content and create leads that, that is, um, less effective now. Uh, two is we used to fill pipeline gaps with outbound SDRs and those, their productivity has fallen and everyone blames, um, work from home and they're wrong. The, the changes in the buyer yeah. and their reaction to outbound SDRing. Um, and then, so that just is a cause for disruption on the pipeline generation side, cause we got to solve it. And just so everyone knows the solution's not, unicorn sales reps and getting sales reps to prospect more. Do they need to prospect? Yeah. I mean, that should be part of your life. Like you should always want, but it won't solve the problem. Um, yeah. So like an example, I think of, by the way, on the marketing side, Matt is you, right? Like Matt, who for years was great at content demand driven demand gen is like hundred percent demo requests slash like down the funnel for the effectuation of like, all campaigns and anything they're doing, um, that's a big change, right? Because there's still people are coming to me, God, our conversion rates on content are 
really low, they're getting less downloads and they're not working at all. It's like, okay, well then it's time to change. So that's what I'm looking for is we got to start to find new recipes at work. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, I think all those points are valid. And I think as a marketer, what that points me to is, um, one, uh, we, we have to reset our expectations on the amount of pipeline coverage we're able to create. If you look back historically over the course of the last 10 years, like pipeline has come from a, a myriad of sources, whether it was a demo request, whether it was a content download, whether it was like signing up for a meeting at, at an event or, or even being incentivized by campaigns that are like, hey, you know, uh, we'll give you like, uh, we want to get you back on your feet. Here's a hundred dollar gift card for a pair of Nikes to take a meeting with us. I think the reality is, is for most companies right now, if you're unable to, as, as a marketer, bring somebody to your salesperson who has an active project, understands what you do is, is, uh, has a brand level awareness, uh, with your organization, the reps are going to struggle. It's going to eat up a bunch of time. It's going to require a, a heavier hand from like a solutions consultant or a sales architect or however you sort of delineate those those professionals within your business, and it's going to cause a, a lot of friction between you know the sales and marketing function, and it's going to lead to things like really low win rates. I think your best bet is instead of saying, "Hey, I want to create five or six x pipeline," what you want to create is really high quality pipeline, and so narrowing the focus to you know how do I build programs that actually drive people to 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 request a demo and and sort of identify active projects within their business that your solution's a good fit for, then uh, then I think you can get to a point where your win rates are going to go up the reliance on like this massive amount of pipeline is going to come down, um, which is like for me was one of the biggest surprises entering into a new business is like, I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to build all these different ways to put good prospects in front of the sales team. The reality is, is when we narrow the focus down to, to just those hand raisers, the sales team got more productive and they won more and they were happier and they were more confident. So I think, you know, uh, the, the, the days of like the, hey, here's all the different ways that we can get people into the funnel. Yeah, absolutely, keep going with that. But in terms of when you drop that person into a sales cycle, you have to be uh, very dispassionate about the way you think about your history or how marketing's been run over the course of the last decade. And you have to take a razor to some of that stuff and say, how do we put these people right in front of our salesperson when they're ready to buy and not be like, oh, salespeople can't do evangelical selling anymore. Buyers don't want to be evangelically sold to anymore. They're just like, hey, I'm here for a solution. I've got very small amount of budget. It may have taken them forever just to get approval to start uh, an evaluation cycle. And I think we have to be cognizant of that. That's not to say you shouldn't run big programs that bring a lot of people into the funnel. You still should. Demand creation is still really, really important. But the demand capture, you got to think about it through a much narrower lens. I love everything you just said. And I'm going to build on that for a second. I feel like we always talk about best practices. And I feel like the last two to three years, 2023, I think being the worst, is the, the year of worst practices. Mm. Um, we have literally, like, I, and I don't know if it's where people were brought in, if like early people in their careers kind of came in at 2020 and were indoctrinated into this, everybody buys because there's so much money. But it seems like the only thing anybody's doing right now is ads and SEO. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, we know that's not working. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody I've talked to is struggling dramatically. They can't fill the pipe. And and to your point, Matt, what I really like is is quality over quantity right now. Should we be bringing in a large amount of people at the top for sure? Right. Yeah. Like, and, and to your point, we're going to better understand where to bring them into a sales cycle. And I think that's the other thing, too. I've seen too many companies who say they have a scoring model and you get in and there's no real scoring model. Yeah. Or, uh, or at the and, very and, least, they should be completely redefining what their scoring model looks like now. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's it seems a lot of people still or went to up to this point tools. Now they're moving away from it because nobody has budget. And content, which was, you know, look, we I still think really good content converts. Mm-hmm. The problem is there's not really good content. Um, personas aren't being specifically defined icp work is not good i'm gonna just call it trash at least what i've seen i'm sure there's people doing it really well love to see your icp guys um but but honestly i think it's getting back to the basics uh so for me the the year what i'm watching is are people going to kind of reestablish their basics you know i always go to the sports method you know the, the sports side of things and i like to say all the greats had the basics in spades Mm-hmm. I feel like that is something that people have really lost in the last bit of time. So yeah. I think we're going to see a shift. And then I think the motion, in my opinion, that I'm watching and the hottest on is, is obvious. I know everybody knows already before I say it, but it's partner. Um, I believe there's a lot there that has not been explored uh, mm-hmm. or understood. I think that there's a lot of, at least from my experience currently, the companies that I'm seeing who have a partner program, they're not mature. Um, and then they're trying to layer on these except like near bound and things like this that are extensions of their partner program. Right. Um, so 2024 to me, it's the year of partner. That's how I'm calling it. In my opinion, that's what I'm watching. Yeah. Um, not a prediction, guys. Just watching. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> and I think that there's going to be some some monumental movement, um, some shifts in the way that CROs are looking at the world. Because to Craig, to your point too, and and, and yours, Matt, it's it's not working, right? Yeah. The, the salespeople are not closing at the same rates. The activity isn't happening at the same rate. The, the, the SDR, ADR, BDRs are not able to, to get meetings the way they did. They're going to be looking. And, yeah. and I think that this is one of those things they can add to the repertoire to spin up as a true motion that is going to move the needle in 2024. Okay. I just want to say one thing to all of us, which is it's easy for us to say quality, okay, but like it's hard. Like the, yeah. how you get there is I'm still, that's the most important. It's like, that would be just like a podcast to be like, well, you got to get better quality, you know? Yeah. And it's like, what I think we should look for is like Matt's talking about, there's this new demand creation funnel at the top using things like LinkedIn or whatever that might be. And looking for those, we got to get in the weeds a little bit to, to get to the point where you can even deliver quality. Um, It's really important. And I think when we think about looking at next year, I think that's really important. I mean, I, uh, I don't know that I have the solution for it either, at least. And so it sounds like Matt's onto something good. So we should probably dig in at some point on some of the tactical things you're doing less. So at the bottom, more so at the top. 
It's all, yeah. yeah, it is more so at the top for sure. I think the thing is, is like the funnel is just very narrow right now. And you have to be comfortable with that as a marketer, which is to say like a lot of the things that you would have pushed forward to the sales team because they sort of smell like a deal, they just don't anymore. So you have to be a little bit more ruthless about what you let through. And you have to, you have to, I think, if I could give marketers a good bit of advice, it's like, you should feel comfortable missing your pipeline number if what you're delivering is a bookings number, okay? Because yeah. I think it's gonna take a long while for people to get comfortable with the fact that 6X, 5X pipeline is no longer really possible. But if you, if you reorient your brain around, instead of having this massive amount of volume, I wanna focus on things that are really good and maybe I can drive, I can help our sales team drive the win rate up, then there's gonna be a pressure release on the amount of pipeline that needs to be created. And that is a very different way of thinking. And if you said, hey, what I really, if, if I could drive 2X pipeline, but it was super qualified and it looked like it might close, you would change your marketing mix. And I think people have to start changing their marketing mix to get in line with something closer to two and a half to three X of pipeline. Yeah, I, I, I love everything you just said. Um, I think that there was like, if we can get a reshift, because I, I think one of the big challenges though with that whole statement is CROs have to get their head around. It's not a volume game right now. Mm -hmm. um, and to make that shift is difficult. I'm not going to call this like, you just needed it. No, that, that is difficult. Like, hey, I've done this. I've built my career on this. And now you're telling me we need to make a big shift. That's going to be difficult for people to kind of swallow. Yeah. Um, so I am curious how long this takes and how well CROs, CMOs actually unite to really solve the problem together. I'm hoping because of this problem, it creates that need for unity within the go-to-market uh, function. Yeah. But we will I'll, I'll tell you one thing that's been helpful. My prediction is that won't happen. No, you said you hope. I did say hope. Yeah, and that's yeah. it's always been hope. You know, it's yeah. so hard, man. so hard. Yeah. But yeah. I think the one yeah. thing that's helped me, and I've always looked at what happens to opportunities, like does an opportunity get created and does it go to close one? I've spent a lot more time thinking about stage progression in the last six months than I think I have in the previous six years of my career, which is what are the programs that are going from, you know, meeting to opportunity, but like opportunity to qualification, qualification to validation and trying to get a sense of what are the programs that are actually driving people all the way through in a in sort of a healthy conversion across each one of the stages of selling instead of just hey we created an opportunity and it got closed one 60 days later 90 days later 180 days later whatever the length of your sales cycle is i am i'm spending way more time looking at stage progression than i have in forever yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So, guys, if you want to just go deep on any of these things in the future, and I'm talking to our audience here, you know, let us know what you you want to hear more about. We we want to answer those questions. You know, send in questions. Send in where you guys want us to dig deeper. We'd love to do it. Uh, we're going to transition here in a second. Craig's got an amazing interview coming up. I'm super stoked for it. And so we're, we're going to do that. But please, guys, one, happy holidays. Thank you guys for tuning in. We, we're this has been a labor of love for us and we're so happy that you guys are a part of it and two, you know have a wonderful year let's all recharge and come back and kill it and make some of these things we're watching really happen so 
from me and I know you guys. Uh, we love you. Thank you guys as usual. And uh, Craig, we're going to turn it over to you. Happy holidays, everyone. That's Magnard. Better everyone who's watching, yes, this is a Bruce Willis in the air conditioning duct scene in Die Hard in a painting. I'm not sure who did the painting, but it just, I had to have it. And Die Hard in, in celebration of the holiday season, because it is one of the top holiday movies. So there you go. Actually, let's just start with this. So do you classify <laughs> Die Hard as a Christmas movie or not? I, I do. I do. I'm sorry. I do. <laughs> That's okay. Actually, I, you know, I've been trying to answer that for a long time. And uh, I have gone back and forth. But now I'm telling everyone that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So that uh, this time of year, everyone should watch it at least once. And I'm that's, watching so that's it tonight, my actually. Policy. I'm watching oh, it tonight, I think. No, I am. It's like literally, it's about my list. I think I'm doing it tonight. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So everyone, um, I'd, um, I'd like to make sure that I can properly introduce my uh, guest today. Because um, honestly, like I've been excited to talk to you. I haven't talked to you in a long time. And like um, the the amount of energy and the actually here's what I'd describe the your knowledge delivered with your energy is like the perfect combination for any type of conversation recorded or not, by the way. So everyone like um, the today's guest, we years of experience in the executive suite from president, CFO, COO. I knew her when she was leading the wildly successful run that Outreach had. So a lot of our listeners, of course, know uh, the uh, famed sales engagement application platform that um, Outreach was. And Anna was, um, you know, the COO, CRO, uh, face of the franchise, um, part of that amazing run there. And that's where I really got to to know Anna. We probably had a million conversations recorded and not recorded over that time. And that's where I really got to know her and the and the intellectual energy she brings. I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm going to find the high level headline on this. Love that term, intellectual energy. And now, uh, <laughs> and now you're a board member. You're an operating partner at Madrona. So you're, um, you know, sharing that incredible executive experience that you have with others. And we hope that you can do that today with your intellectual energy. But folks, today's guest is Anna Baird, and it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you, Craig. I just had knee surgery, so we'll see how the energy goes. I'm like, if I wiggle oh. in my seat, it's because my knee hurts. <laughs> so hang tight. I, I, <laughs> hey, man, if I'm I wiggle in the seat, it's... It's, it's very normal for me to wiggle in the seat. So I, th I think we'll be in good shape. Um, how was my intro? What it was awesome. Thank you. Yes. No, it was amazing. It was amazing, as always. You know, I, I feel like I'm one of those weird people who've like been a CFO, a COO, a CRO. I was a partner at KPMG. I helped take Google public. It's been a, it's been a wild career, honestly. Yeah. But it is, you know, and, and probably your, your, um, you know, among the many ways that you moved the needle on the revenue side during your time at Outreach, the CFO experience was huge and probably huge right now, right? Because of, you know, all the different things yeah. that are happening. But, but, but so what I'd like to do is just to kick us off is 
just to make sure that we can surprise the audience with with an insight from you. I like to ask, like, what is it today that the market thinks that they're doing right or or, or they think is normal um, that they're wrong about and what should they be doing? Um, that's mm-hmm. how I like to lead just to find that sort of insight that people aren't thinking about and when and yeah. we can surprise them with. What, what would you say to that? Well, we'll see how surprising this is. I think it's what's been fun for me being a board member now and also working with a lot of C-suite executives because of my role at Madrona and and other things that I'm doing is um, I get to see a lot of different C-level executives, especially CEOs, and and operate through these last, you know, 18 months or so of kind of some challenging times. (laughs) And you'd think what I'm going to say shouldn't be surprising, but I'm just telling you, in fact, it is because they're not doing it. And and they're often doing the opposite of this, which is when the market is hard, you need to have maniacal focus on the pain you solve for your customers. Because if you aren't solving a pain that they're willing to pay for, then you're not going to do well in this market. Right? I mean, it's yeah. like if you're a nice to have, you're going to have a problem. If you are truly solving a pain, but you're spending a bunch of time on, you know, other product tangents and other things because you are, are hoping to figure out how to make, you know, more money or whatever, you've got to sit back and take a look as like, why do we exist as a company? Because there's only one reason you exist. You solve something for your customers, right? And yeah. whether that's a new fun thing that you can do or it's a pain that, that helps them with efficiency or revenue, you've got to double down on that and say, are we just maniacal on how we're messaging that, on talking about the challenges we solve for our customers and how we're investing in product to continue to do that. And what I have seen over the last 18 months is people get scared and yeah. change strategy every quarter and yeah. not have the opposite of maniacal focus. And it's causing them a lot of challenges then in their own businesses because they can't get the outcomes that they're, they're honestly trying to change the strategy to get to an outcome and it's having the opposite effect, right? So that's probably the big thing. Yeah, no, that's actually, it, you're right. The way you said it, it shouldn't be surprising, but it is. But but yeah. do you think that, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, because I've seen the the strategy changes out of panic is like yes happening, but do you, and is part of that though? So the maniacal focus that you talked about, it, you said that there's a pain in the market that we solve for, and we're going to quadruple, triple down our focus on. So is part because there's the go to market strategy, or is that the same? Like, there are they moving away from their core pain that they're solving? And they're sort of uh, panicking in the go-to-market side, or it's like like the maniacal focus to me seems like it would, even if you did make alterations to your go-to-market, it would still be ultimately serving against that maniacal focus against the pain that you're solving for folks. Um, so, like, yeah, when you talk about maniacal focus, like, give us the scope of that. Like, where where does that you know what should yeah. that look like? No, and I think it's a it's a great question, and there's a there's a lot of of nuances that come into the play that we'll hit on some of that in a second as well, because I think there's the, okay, so what pain do you solve? Why does your company exist? And people forget that sometimes they forget yeah. why you became a company in the first place, and and then you start trying to create all these things that you think the market wants, and what happened I think in this last eighteen months especially is. People had a lot of money going into this 18 months, especially in the startup world, right? And yep. I say start, I start startup being a broad term from series, you know, 
C plus who are you know, product market fit, had their stuff together, right? We're doing well, raised lots of money. And when you raise lots of money, I think you start experimenting, right? Taking risks. Hey, I'm going to try this or I'm going to try that. And you also honestly get super confident in who you are and your understanding of what you think the market wants. Because you started investing in R&D and you started investing in go-to-market messaging and you started investing in some other things and maybe you did an acquisition or you're trying some new product lines. And I think what happened is everybody started to do that and then this market hit and they're like, okay, we're going to go double down on that. We're going to go double down on all these things we were trying. Instead of saying, hey, hold on. <laughs> like right. what in this, if I was going to do three things this year that made a difference for our customers to drive expansion and retention, um, and acquisition of new customers obviously would be helpful too, <laughs> is what are those three things? And what happened is everybody was doing seven other things that were you know, periphery, tangents, new ideas, other things, and they kept investing in those or trying even more of those things versus taking a step back and going, if I could only do three things that really impacted 80% of my customers, you know, they would go, oh my gosh, yes, I'd expand, I'd give you money if you did that. Are we doing those things? Is that where we're using our money instead of burning it on a lot of other stuff? Which then yeah. causes more panic, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You're burning more right. cash. You start yeah. panicking more. You start trying to do new things with less people, less money. <laughs> yeah. And then we wonder why we're not successful, right? So I, I think that that's, that's what I was seeing. Does that make sense? Does that help? Yeah, total sense. I love the three things. So um, Robert Kaler, if you're listening to the show, the rule of three is in play with Anna here. Um, I think that's also easy to remember. I actually, you know, as you were talking, I got to tell you, I just had to run an errand and there was a, a truck in the parking lot. I meant to take a picture of it. I, I, I wanted to because, you know, most landscapers or, you know, landscape maintenance folks or whatever will just say so-and-so landscape. And then if they have a web page or a card, they list off a million things, right? Because they, they don't want, you know, they want his wife. This guy said, you know, so-and-so landscaping landscape management for property managers. I was like, dude, nice. you that's so simple, but he has okay. his ideal customer profile that he is serving. Uh, he states it, he exists for them. And I was like, gosh, you know, what a very simple yet amazing thing. Yeah. It's just extremely targeted from, you know, a, a, a type of truck we see every day. You know, and so anyway, yes. as you were talking, I'm like, oh my god, like I serendipity and effect. Yeah, I love that. The, uh, yeah, for sure. Actually, you know what's interesting that you said there was in. in it, I, I'm just gonna even pull it out of context. What the market wants, or your market wants. Well, and it may have changed, which is the other problem. Yes, right. That, so yes, this is the. That, I, I said this all the time. Uh, you know, as a go-to-market leader, you see it, but also as a product leader, you see it. As CEOs, obviously. It's like you can have a strategy. And there's like, why is our strategy changing mid-year? Well, our strategy changes for multiple reasons. But it can be because, you know, our product needed to change. There's something that it needed to evolve. Competition came into play, and so you needed to evolve. But the market also can change what it wants from you. And I saw this within six months sometimes, the market totally pivoting and saying, this is critical for us. It was something that wasn't even table stakes six months before. And when right. the market changes like it has in the last 18 months, that's absolutely true, right? I mean, you're, it's like, are the customers having the same pain? Do they still want from you the same thing they wanted six months ago? Because you better go figure that out. And it's funny, I was talking to a company that, that um, 
had let go of their CRO, which is pretty common these days. Yeah, I was going to say. Like, there's oh, more CROs well, yeah. in the market than ever, right? Gee, which one was that unique? No, yeah. I was talking to somebody in their portfolio. It's like, oh, we have like half of our companies have a CRO opening. I was like, yeah, really? Surprise, surprise. So, yeah. but I was talking to them and they were saying, oh, you know, as a the, one of their other leaders wanted to be a CRO. And I said, well, talk to me about how you're looking at this, this role. And they said, well, you know, it's great. You, know, you just really focus on the management team and strategy and you don't meet with customers anymore. I was like, say what? <laughs> it's like, you yeah. don't meet with customers anymore. I was like, yeah, our CRO, my last couple CROs didn't meet with customers anymore. They're, they're running the business. I'm like, how can you run a business? I don't care what C-level title you have and not meet with customers because that is the only reason you exist. It's the only reason you have a job as an executive. And right. as, a, as a leader, period, for anybody in the company, the only reason they have a job is because we have customers that we're servicing. So not going out and doing a check in the marketplace on a regular basis, and whether you're head of product, you're the CEO, you are the CFO, you are the CRO, head of marketing, obviously, you're out there touching base with customers all the time to make sure, are we on track? Is our strategy still aligned with what they need from us? Because there is nothing more important than that. Yeah, what an easy, I mean, not, I, it, well, it's not easy because not everyone does it, but it's actually pretty simple. So like if you were, so we have to know what the market wants. To do that, we should be, everyone should be talking to customers. Um, yes. And do you, Bring everything because this, you know, what's unique about you too is if you think about it, like the the raised up through the revenue side CRO, um, you know, they actually they're kind of single minded in running that team. Like they don't they see the CFO is actually conspiring against. There's a lot. I, I don't want to be too, but well, but there, there's an <laughs> yeah the adversary. But you are actually in a you you are uh, essentially a. Uh, executive level, you, know, you were an executive across the board. You knew the CFO's point of view, the COO's point of view, CR, as you were leading revenue. And like the thing I, I, I'm, I'm sort of uh, trying to gather here is like, so we understand the customer, but you also understand the constraints of the organization, being who you were in the, the constraints of the organization to deliver on that. The pain of product who is like, um, getting a million different signals from the sales team on things that they should build or not. What are your like thoughts or, or best practices on managing the customer feedback and actually pr producing, whether it's from a product perspective, a marketing perspective, you know, whatever those things are, how do you know when to make your move? And um, is it, there's enough votes to, to do that? You've heard it enough or is, you know, how, do, how should we think about that as an organization? We used to have a fun game we played between the engineering product team and, and me and my leadership where it's like, I'm going to give you $10 and at the beginning of the year, you get to place your bets on where you want that $10 spent, right? right and it's, right. It is, it's back to your, you know, what is your one list, your top 10 list? What is the list that says, if I can do nothing else, these are the five things that move the needle this year, the three things or the whatever, and prioritized in order. If we have to drop one, we're going to drop the one at the bottom. And we would revisit this. So we do it when we were budgeting. So say it's, you know, comes fall, August, September, you know, people are doing their budgets for the next year and they're getting all their stuff ready and engineering and product are going through their whole, hey, you know, what are we, where are we going to invest and what are we building? And that's a team agreement, right? And it's, and it's based on all of us, product, you know, go to market, everyone 
going into the marketplace, having talked to customers, coming back and saying, if we invest in one thing that moved the needle, what would it be, right? And and obviously that that top five list, really. And to say, and then when does it need to be delivered and how much revenue does it have to attribute for the year? You can't do a forecast unless you do that exercise, right? And then right. you have to revisit it every quarter and sometimes more often to say, are we still on track? Is that still the right play for us? Because some of these plays take a year to build, right? Or nine months or six months or whatever, depending on where you are in the technology journey. And so it's how are we making sure that if we have to cut as a team, we are saying these are the things that would go first because I'm not going to give up this. And we got pretty maniacal about saying this is my number one priority if you do nothing else but this. And and my whole team, and I said, you aren't going to hear anything different from the rest of the go-to-market team. We are all aligned. This is our list. You don't have to ask anybody. You don't have to check with anybody else. And you right. tell us if you disagree based on obviously the customer feedback you've gotten. And then we'll we'll settle it out. And it really made everybody's job so much easier. And we just revisited it every quarter as a leadership team. Product and go to market would obviously get together and marketing would be in that too. And 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 then obviously we'd, we'd do it with a broader executive team as well. But it's going, here's where we're investing. Here's what we said we were going to focus on. Yes, we're still on track. Yes, we're still on track. Yes, that is still my number one. There's a there's a few uh, founders that I um, I'm working with who will love the three things. So the but the the three the, I'm going to f- keep focusing on the three. So from a go to market perspective too, th- would that be like your recommended like because that gets 100%. we go all over. I mean, okay, so yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's again, you know, one thing we used to do, and I honestly think it was probably one of the best things that we did. Um, and this was this was an outreach. We started to put in, you know, as you're growing, especially as you're growing as fast as we were, there's a lot happening in the organization, right? The market is changing. Your company is changing. You know, you're, you're trying to get so many things done. You're trying to build a foundation to scale because that's what you have to be able to do to get to efficiency. Right. You have to build the foundations that scale. I used to have my go-to-market goals. One was based on growth levers and levers for scale and efficiency. We had those, those two categories. And that's how we did our, we called them OSMs, Objective Strategies and Measures. And so every year we'd set up our OSMs on, on those two categories and each of my teams had objective strategies and measures that they were focusing on. And what we did though that I really think helped us up level that, because you start getting, obviously as you get into every team and they're focusing on the top three things, how do they align back to goals, et cetera. But for the board, I would put together each quarter, i say, here's the foundational programs that we've put together in our, you know, pre and post sale organization in our sales organization. Here's programs we put in place to do X. They're, you know, we hired this leader to build value engineering. We hi- we are putting in this program to increase win rate. We are putting in this program to increase our retention rates. And so yeah. we would show all the programs and people. That was pretty much those two categories. Sometimes there was tech, so it could be technology we invested in as well. But it was it was people and programs and technology. And I had one sheet for each team and we did six quarters rolling. And we said, here's the programs we put in place in Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, obviously kept it rolling. And below all those programs in the quarter, we would put all of our metrics. What are our gross and net retention? What was our sales win rate? What was, we would put all of the metrics that were outputs to say, are those programs over time moving those metrics? And they did. Right. And so we'd say we invested in this and here's how we're showing you what it did, because if you're investing and you don't have those outcomes and we're we're not investing. Right. We've got to stop and take a look and say, okay, where where do we move the resources? 
but it helps you stay focused on what are the things that are moving the needle and are those programs, which all align back to what were the top goals of the go-to-market team, were they creating outputs? And we show that to the board every quarter. And that's what my leaders talk to in the board meetings. It's like, let's go through this slide. Here you go. Here's what we did. Here's where we're at. Questions, right? And it, it was probably one of the most effective communication tools that I used yeah. to you know, keep us all. And it, it honestly helped us keep ourselves aligned, right? Just at a higher level, totally. taking it up a notch. Totally. By the way, I got to tell you, so I know I mentioned a guy you don't even know, my Robert Kaler's guy I work with. He's going to like yeah. eat this podcast up because you said three things. He always says rule of three. Number two is he keeps like saying, Craig, these, these, these people, we don't need to build a 70 page deck. We need one piece of paper and like, yeah. well, not piece of paper, but you know what I mean? Like one right. page. And it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, I, I just love the simplicity of that. It's hard to do, uh, but it was yeah. it was really an exercise that that helped us translate. Also, when you're talking to investors, board members, et cetera, how do you translate back what's going on and what's working and what's not? And you know, how do we think about that? So I think it was just a super effective way to get that simplicity in play. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to take all these things to ask you. I, by the way, this is classic. I'm going to. This is everyone's going to think this is crazy. This is so us. I honestly did not necessarily plan on talking about this and i'm i was so i'm so happy with the first uh part of this podcast because uh very practical really important really timely so that was a beautiful thing and i want to take i'm going to say like a couple words that you brought up and then i'm going to ask you a question so one is once again i'm going to bring up what the market wants uh why you exist um maniacal focus um and I'm, actually, I'm going to stop there. So what's happening in the sales tech market right now as an <laughs> alumni? And now, no, now you can take a step back like me. I'm yeah, in the same. Yeah. I, mean, I get to take a step back and take an yeah. objective look. So okay. now that now that you're I, I, I threw in those words because I kept going, oh, this is going to be interesting yeah. uh, because we still have hundreds of vendors out there. Yeah, uh, and uh, I know I said hundreds, and some people will say thousands, but let's just uh, for the sake of in my purview, hundreds. So what what what's happening right now? Where where like answer it any way you want. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. No, when I come from, I was a partner at KPMG and consulting, and so I use my consulting hat as I take a step back and go, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, and I actually just did a presentation for Madrona on this. A team of us did. Um, including Lauren, who was the ex-CRO from DocuSign. So it was fun to say, oh, you know, yeah, what, this, what do the next yeah, five yeah. years look like? No, super right. fun. But here's what I will say. And obviously, I was in inside. I, I see what's happening at the other companies that were in the ecosystem. Sales tech, and it's like any tech, and I've, I've said this for a long time, anytime you bring technology to a new segment, sector, role, you get this proliferation of all these little niche tools that solve a pain, a piece of the pain. And because there's and and if you think about the go-to-market organizations and obviously sales in particular, there's been nothing like forever, decades there was nothing. You had a CRM yeah. system and that was it. And then all of a sudden you started to get these pieces of tools. It was like okay, help SDRs coordinate calls. Um, then you know, help you hear calls. Uh, nobody just wants to you know schedule a call and nobody just wants to hear a call. They want to understand how do they make their forecast, right? That's the goal. There's the only goal. Yeah is everybody is being asked, are you going to make your forecast and where is it going to land and are we going to do it the same way for the next you know, bajillion quarters? And so the question that needs to be answered is that, is like, am I on track with my forecast? Do I have pipeline for the next forecaster they need? Or are the, is that pipeline in the right stage to convert when it needs to convert? And you know, are we you know, in, in the right conversations with our customers across retention and, and obviously growth levers? 
And so everybody was starting to focus as these niche pieces of technology started turning into pl the platforms. Um, and I'll just use that broadly across some of the major yeah. players. You saw them try to pull all these pieces of, of niche pieces of technology together to answer that ultimate question. You know, am I going to meet my forecast? Because that's all that our customers are asking us at Outreach, right? It's any and anything I heard, whether I talked to a CFO, a CIO, or a CRO, is how do I consolidate across? Yeah, across too much tech. Yeah. Tell me yeah. how I can consolidate this tech. That that cry hasn't gotten less loud since I was, you know, in the, the role I was over a year ago. So, um, especially in this market, so that was the cry. And then, unfortunately for everybody, honestly, the market downtrend hit as these companies were starting to really invest in how do we pull all that together. And then what happened was then they needed to lay off people. And then mm -hmm. they are scrambling, like we were just talking about a little bit ago, on what's the strategy that you get through this market and how do you reaccelerate growth and how do you do all these things. And the challenge that I think everybody has right now, and I, I say that across every niche player and, and every big player um, in this market, is that you need another level of investment to get it to that ultimate nirvana of how do you, the pieces are there. The DNA is absolutely there. And some of them are right. better than others. But there is no one who has stitched it all together. And there was a level of investment that was going to be required. And the problem is, all those people pull back on investments because of the market, right? And and trying to get to profitability. So all of them were told the same thing, all the biggest players, right? We're just told you've got yeah. to get to profitability faster, which meant they had to pull back on investment. This is very complex technology. I mean, you're talking yeah. about listening to calls and hearing um, you know, sentiment in emails and in meetings and trying to translate that all back to where are we in the you know cycle with the customer journey and how is that impacting forecast? All the pieces are there, but we didn't, not all, most of the pieces are there to really start to put some foundationally amazing things together, except it was at the point where another big level of investment was needed. So what I think is going to have to happen is consolidation um, purchased by big players to make that next level of investment, right? You've got to have, none of them are there yet. Um, there's some right. good technology in, in a lot of these companies but none of them are there yet. And the last thing, and I said this at Madrona, last thing anybody should be investing in is any other niche technology here, right? Like nobody needs another niche piece of software that, you know, does something great with a phone call or does something great with an email. It is they, what every company needs is, is this consolidation of all of this tech into something that truly helps them get visibility and understand what's happening in their customers and the journey that they're on. So that's what has to happen. And so that's going to happen with consolidation, acquisition, and I think that'll start happening in, my guess is mid to late 24, um, as all these companies are, are getting tighter on money. They, the, right. the challenge was so many people have raised so much money before the market hit, they've been using that to try all yeah. these different strategies and race around, and they're either burning through it and not making progress, or some are starting to you know, pull some things together. But it's still a lot of investment, I think, to really get the technology to where it needs to be because this is complex. I mean, you're integrating with multiple systems. You're using, and obviously now with AI, how you know can we more efficiently you know incorporate that in? So I think that 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 is the next stage. Is there's everybody sort of stalled in the last eighteen yeah. months, and right. to re-energize this and and take it to where it needs to be is a, is another level of investment. Isn't that funny with like three minutes left? I was holding back on saying AI and then you got it in there at the buzzer. Uh, you know, as you, th by the way, that is so, 
you know, in my reflections on the sales tech market, I'll just give you a couple of my takes. I, I'd love to. To hear. me, right now, consolidation is actually elimination. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't blame the CRO, the CIO. I mean, they're, they, the, you know, so there's a difference, right? Like the niche player roll up. Uh, the, the issue, I think, as, we, as, the, as the market sorts itself out is there was a lot of niche players that really were only $30 million companies. The, and, right. and, you know, I know you, you wouldn't be interested in <laughs> buying something that gets you 30, right? You'd want something that uh, moves big swings. So one, we did have a lot of sort of niche players that are really mom and pop type software companies, and that's fine, by the way. Uh, but like many of them didn't add enough value. And, um, and so like oh, that part is the elimination part. I think as the, the sort of tight, the you know, soon to be titans of the industry, as you describe, you know, as you're talking about them and have it, having them have to broaden their platform, I think one of the things that is difficult now is like had things stayed the same, uh, then yeah, you would roll up places where there's big lifts, right? So like, you know, forecasting was a big lift, right? It's a big lift. Everyone's wants to play in that game. Uh, but then AI. This year, like it's not one of those ter- like people always want to bait me into like bashing it. And actually, that's so ridiculous. The, the, this year was the year in particularly like it was like the one year where a massive big disruption just dropped into the market. That will complicate development plans for our, the big folks because they're going to they're not going to want to buy legacy niche because they're going to know better. They're, they're all smart, as you know. And I mean, you, you know, is in that they're going to be like, well, if we. We have to incorporate AI, Gen AI, you know, whatever it is, whatever direction you want to take here, uh, faster and better, because that's where the threats will come from the bottom and the sides yeah. is if you're not yeah. there. So like, you know, as you're talking about 2024 and the reinvestment, it's really interesting. That might actually hamper some of the, like some of the consolidation of the sales tech market will likely be a lot of folks sort of falling up, either staying small, and staying alive for a while, or if they're venture, they might have to fall off the map a bit. Because if you're, you know, uh, outreach where you were, they're not going to take in anything that's not going to get them to the AI nirvana that they're, you know, that these guys want to go to. Well, that's interesting, right? On your 2024 yeah. with the AI, no, the AI bomb. It, and it's true, and it, it's another complication. I think you're right on the on top of the market disrupting the the technology started disrupting too, right? And all of that happening yeah. at the same time was pretty insane. It's amazing, and yeah. so it creates this incredibly unique dynamic in the ecosystem today that probably has never existed before. All at the same time, like this, with a yeah. major disruption from a technology, you know, potential. And and it's funny. I used to say this all the time. People are like, oh, why isn't Salesforce or Microsoft build what you guys have built? And I said, think about the platform platform they were built on, it's decades old. They can't yeah. reinvest at their stage yeah. and build this. Well, that same now true for the veterans in, in the industry that we're talking about, where if they can't reinvest their old light down their old technology too. And that's the <laughs> other challenge yeah, here, right. right? What I said that's better, well said, myself, right? And right. so so you're you have to also look at it from that angle. And that's a card that's still playing through. Right. That is going to be fascinating to see how they're able to react to retool Um, because there's technology that they spent a lot of money building 
that is way easier now with AI. So do you retool and make that piece more efficient and go spend the money somewhere? You know, where, how do you utilize the funds that you have and can you rebuild the platform in a way that takes truly advantage of this? I'm not just saying you have AI. Truly takes advantage of it in a way that starts, you know, changing the game on, on the way your tech works. So disrupting the disruptors, the disruption yep. no, of the disruptors. It is. No, it's insane. And, and really just a point in time in history that I think is, you know, is, is going yeah. to change the trajectory of this space. Yeah, I totally, I mean, it's like, think about all the things that came together. It's like a sonic boom. Like it's like literally the, a, the AI just, I mean, like I, I was with, uh, I keep bringing him up, but there's an analyst named Esteban Kolsky. I don't know if you ever look at his stuff and read him, right. but he's like amazing. He's just, okay. he's a combination of pissed off for greatness and brilliance and so like he said and you know he has this thing he hates predictions right he, he calls them uh i think the the sh the charlatans of platitudes and wow. uh i confronted him on it he's like craig let me ask you this go back and look and see how many of them talked about uh generative ai being the 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 effect that was going to have this year i'm like oh my god that's so true and also then i added it because it's like the sales tech market had the buyer disruption, so from zero interest rates to massive ones and a complete clamp down, to the sales teams losing people left and right. It, those things go together, but that, I was like, oh my gosh, the these amazing sort of retention rates that many of our, our, uh, uh, our, our success stories in sales tech are gonna take a hit just by virtue of the fact that sales team went from 1,800 um, or even 500 or worse. And then, uh, so you had the, the buying market changed, the AI bomb dropped, and they were already in a period of, like, the, the, all those effects on them, they were already trying to sort out how the heck are we going to, uh, you know, build to dominate. And it's like an incredible just confluence of things at one time in that market. It's really... It's going to be fun to watch now that we can sit on the sidelines. And right. watch for a while. Yeah, like, no, I don't want to sit I, in it, but I, I will sit over here because yeah. it was painful getting to where we got, you know, and, you know, from 25 to 250 million in a good market. I this is yeah. this is insane. And it's and to your point, and, and I say this all the time and I don't disagree with Esteban. I like him already is <laughs> everything <laughs> everyone has said about the market over the last two years keeps being wrong. Right. And and yeah. it's because of this sonic bomb that you've just talked about the, yeah. no one has ever lived through. I mean, we were just finishing a pandemic and then you had this market change and the AI drop and the investment in, especially in this go to market space on where the technology needed to go. And so I don't know how this is going to play through. I just know it's going to change from where it is today and probably drastically by year end. And, and yeah. we'll see, see who's on, you know, who's in the game as, as we get over the next 12 months is going to be, Sitting on the sidelines, I'm going to be the Monday morning quarterback. But <laughs> I know we get to talk about it with no. There's literally no, no harm, no foul on us. Now we can just say what we want, and if it's wrong, <laughs> it's no big deal for you. You know, for them, it's like a multi-million dollar uh, error Painful. if they're wrong. Yeah. Painful. And okay. So, so you see why the CEOs are freaking out, right? I mean, that all yeah. that when you talk about that set of facts, it totally makes sense why they're grasping at a lot of straws and not able to do the maniacal focus because. You know, this is a crazy cycle and they're in the middle of it, right? So Yeah, and things are changing so fast. Okay, but actually, let's do this on our last one. Along those topics, actually, I think the 
the question I would ask you is uh, uh, related to sales tech. So how should the market handle their sales tech investment yeah. right now? <clears throat> what would you recommend to them? Um, uh, like keep going, double down, take an audit, make sure you're getting value. I don't know. You know, like I hear well, it a lot of different I'll, things. Always take an audit and make sure you're getting value. And if somebody hasn't done that at this point, they're, you know, I, I don't know CFO, what your CFO is saying CFO, to you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I was like, CFO was asking that question a year and a half ago. So, um, you know, I think it's obviously doubling down on on the ROI. I do still see, though, it's and it's part of this grasping at straws thing. I'm just going to buy some tech to help solve this problem, and then spending no time implementing training and holding accountability for using it. So same old, same old, same old, right? I mean, that's always the challenge. It's like you buy something, you have to change your processes to utilize that technology as part of the process to make sure you're getting the bang for the buck. And so many still do that, right? So many. I mean, even like literally right now, it's like, stop buying things if you don't know how you're going to use it or don't have the team to train and hold accountability for making sure everybody understands how to get the benefit. Don't. Just don't buy it. I, I that's, that's not a good move. So I think that it is stop investing in a bunch of niche technologies. Don't. Your teams can't handle it anymore. They were already overloaded. If you're still looking at niche stuff, you know, don't. Uh, double down on the stuff that gets you the most you know, it's always like, is it good across most things so you can and, and use your time and energy there until this market changes, because until this plays out a bit, because I think that that's the safest bet to say, you know, something that's giving you one of those platform technologies that's giving you a broader, you know, perspective across your go to market organization and stop doing 25 other things. Just give your team a solid foundation there and use it to run your business. And that's the best you can do, I think, as we watch this next 12 months play out. There we go. All right. That's it for us. But I have one more question before you get off. If you could eat one thing the rest of your life, but you could only eat that one thing, what would it be? Holy cow. One thing. Damn. Um, sushi. I like your style. You know, it's funny. We asked, we did that randomly on the first episode and then a bunch of people sent me in stand by me. I didn't even remember this because that movie was like from my childhood. Yeah, they asked that question and they, the kid says, Cherry Pez. Like, what are you talking about? Like, well, what were we even talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I still haven't heard that one. Yeah, I was going to say, wow, times have changed. Um, is it vegan? <laughs> Is the cherry pez vegan? Yeah, su sushi would be a good one. You could live with that the rest of your life. I think mine so. was a I, I, mine was a carne asada burrito. It, that oh, yum! Yeah, I, I was trying to like balance a little healthy in there. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I figured you would. And it's delicious, but there's variety in there too. It's no, no, I'm uh, there's like I can eat some bad bad for you sushi. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was amazing. I'm actually going to ask you again to come on as we think, see things develop. Anytime. And, um, yeah, you're the best. This was exactly what I thought. And I, you did bring, even with the knee injury, intellectual <laughs> energy. Um, well, they, well, can I and, give you uh, my one last, I was, your, your inspired gardener quote just hit me. So it's like, you know, these, all of these companies that thought they were like the new age, the 
most you know new age company here we're we're taking the this segment to a whole nother level whole new future and i was at this car show and somebody had a sticker on their car that says my car's a hybrid it burns oil and gas and i think that's a nice analogy for some of what's happening in the market with companies who are like yeah i'm cool but i'm doing all the bad things that still burn all my cash (laughs) oh my god Oh my God. Did you plan for that? Cause that was the perfect. No, edit. no, I'm, it just hit me. I saw, woo. I love the sticker. It was hilarious. And your, oh. your, your little quote earlier reminded me of it. So there we go. <laughs> we'll end, we'll end there. Don't, don't be it. that kind of hybrid. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thanks for tuning in to GTM Unfiltered. To hear our innovative insights and strategies, visit gtmunfiltered.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time.